everyone, and welcome back to Once Upon a Timing, your podcast all about magic cuffs, magic betrayal, and the gorgeous freckles of a woman cursed. I'm Beth Elderkin, and I'm joined as always by the lovely Abby. Abby, how are you doing? Uh, Beth, if a book started like that, I'd be like, this is a tale of magic cuffs, magic betrayal, and the thing you said about freckles, I would read every book in that series like that sound that was great it was amazing Ooh. have i and found that, my calling yes i think you i, mean, I think yeah, we've hit the sweet spot on the the announcement ones where it's just like this is it's how we get you we get you with the first three and then you get to listen to our wild takes and me complain that there wasn't a boar in a cloak later even though the boar is uncredited in the episode it says uncredited Unknown as Zoso. So Zoso was there. Mm-hmm. And then unknown as Gorg the Invincible. I think it's just because they're assumed that those those two dark ones are somewhere in the pack. You just but can't see just, them. They never really show the pack any farther than about, like, nipples down. Yeah. So, like, you you wouldn't be able to see a boar wandering about. But it was a big boar. I feel like it would have, like, trampled all the other dark one remnants and been like... Make way, dark boar here. I need attention. It just starts throwing people left and right. Like it, it, it shows up late with Starbucks and like bowls them all over. Emma, do it, do it, drive us on. So we are talking about season five, episode seven, Nimue. Uh, this was written by Jane Espenson and directed by Romeo Tyrone. And it's the backstory of the first dark one. We get the big reveal. Who was the first dark one? How was the first dark one created? And while some of the details of the origin are a little murky, a little funky, like not so fresh, uh, overall, like the actress who came in uh, to play her, Caroline Ford, she was fantastic. She mm-hmm. made an impression right away. Merlin, top of his game, uh, the actor who plays him, Elliot Knight. There was some melodrama with him. Liam Garrigan is King Arthur. This, the, the three of them felt like they were on a different show, but I wanted to watch that show, yes. so I let the other characters just come along for the ride. I was having the same thing. I'm like, I don't know what's going on right now, but I want to watch whatever side quest we're on, because then they would go back and it was just like Snow being obviously tricked by by pretend crying uh, because she's a big old softy. And I was just like, no, 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 no. go back. I, I want I want to listen to Nimue talk more about why she is the way that she is. Like, I love this. It's wonderful. I have questions about her avatar skin. Let's go. Yeah, like all the conversations that Merlin and Nimue have about immortality, the price of living forever, the whole thing about like diamonds on the sand versus a diamond in your hand. Like that was, it was, it was, it was beautiful. It was poetic. It was deep. It definitely falls into Jane Espenson's preferences of you know kind of waxing poetic about larger philosophical questions something she's kind of known for in some of her other works so it makes sense that she would do so here and that it would pay off so well Mm -hmm. but it's it's also just like it's once upon a time guys i like it but it's not what we do 
So no, we just have to wrestle listen, with that. Listen, they never let you forget that it's once upon a time either. Why? Because when a lot of these conversations are happening between these two as we're building their little love story, they're doing so near a pot of very poorly staged, put together flowers. The pot of flowers drove me bananas because it's very clearly like some kind of grass with the roses just stuck in it. It doesn't look natural or normal. And it's just like, they're just talking about it and it's just like the brightest, freshest fake thing nearby. And I'm like, just stop. Stop centering it in the shot. It's it's not working. I don't like this. It's like, oh, this is once upon a time. Just wait till you see the ember at the end. Like, that's what it was prepping you for. Yes. Well, let's go ahead and start diving into this episode, Nimue, or as it's known in German, Nimue's love in the times of darkness. Oh. Right? Okay. Yeah. Set, setting a tone. Setting setting uh, uh, the scene. Nimue's in the tone, like, in the in the... What'd you say it was? Like, hold on. Nimue in the, like, the path of darkness or whatever. Like, that starts with a magic cuff, magic betrayal. <laughs> yes. Nimue's love in the times freckles. of darkness. <laughs> the cursed freckles of a woman scorned. Well, we're going to go ahead and I think we're going to go and start in the Enchanted Forest in Camelot. Uh, because we want to hold on to the the whole Merlin origin story for just a little bit. Because that's really going to come into play with the big reveal at the end of the episode. Uh, so we're going to wait, we're going to put a little pin in Merlin's journey, uh, because right now Merlin is chilling with the team. They have a plan to restore Excalibur to its former glory so that they can rid Emma of the darkness once and for all. So in order to do that, we've got a couple quests going on. Merlin and Emma are going to go on their quest. And meanwhile, everybody else is going to go on their own quest to get the actual Excalibur from King Arthur. Uh, Hook has returned, like, he does both modes in this episode. He does the, I'm unnecessarily angry at everything for no reason scene. And then he does the, I'm the perfect boyfriend who's giving you my most prized possession for definitely not a foreshadowing reason. I just, there was like two different episodes smashed together. Because Mm -hmm. he is just two totally different people. Uh, from one to the other, and it just doesn't it doesn't jive correctly. Uh, but yeah, I did notice that too. And then he becomes set dressing at a certain point. He's just sort of there. He is, yeah. He doesn't really serve much of a purpose in the like the whole quest in, to sneak inside the castle to get the sword was so poorly done, and I oh cannot God. wait to talk about it because it was ridiculously bad. Sneak, 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 sneak. sneak. But in the so let's go ahead and we're gonna get into that for for just a little bit. They have to go into Excal. Uh, they have to go into the castle to get Excalibur from King Arthur. They're all uh, trying to figure out their plan, and Zelina is just huffing and puffing and and just so frustrated because everyone's bad at plans. So then finally Regina goes, "Okay, well, what's your plan, genius?" And she's, "Well, I am a genius. I found a secret door." I was going to use it to escape, but now I'm going to give it to you for no reason, except maybe get this cuff off me later, please, BT dubs. I'm not suspicious. Yeah. I'm not doing anything bad. It's fine. This is like, definitely not a script any of us have given before to get out of a situation. Yeah. Especially yeah. not me. Yeah. No. Zelina, who's definitely not done this before. No, you can trust me, guys. I've turned over a new leaf because, because pregnancy has made me a different person. 
Totally. Yeah. Pre- yeah. Pregnancy. It, may, it makes you it makes you more more sensitive. As a mother, uh, <laughs> I hate that. I hate that so much. Well, because they're going to sneak into uh, the castle through this door that Zelina found. And they leave Mary Margaret to watch Zelina, which didn't seem like a good plan. And honestly, they didn't all need to go in. Just send Robin. He's a thief. Send the one guy who knows how to steal stuff and is good at it. And also the one guy that kind of blends in. Like Regina, Hook, well, Charming's a known quantity. Like, those are people you recognize. Like, hey, those are new. Robin Hood just kind of looks like a people. He's just a guy. He's not, he doesn't have um, evil queen energy. He doesn't have uh, Charming's like half unbuttoned shirt thing he's rocking this episode. Uh, And he's definitely not broody, stare at everybody, pirate hook. Like, just send in Robin. What are we doing? Just, yeah, you could put him in a disguise. It would be great. Regina is like, she looks fabulous because she always looks good in red, but she's wearing just like what looks like a velvet curtain just over draped over her body yeah. with this like clasp thing. And I'm like, okay, well, you look fantastic. You do not blend in. No, no, no. Send in the one guy who will blend in. But no, apparently sneaking into the castle, like the best way to do that is just by loudly announcing your presence and then waiting for people to walk past you. And then there's no other people who are going to see you because this is video game logic. This group is going, it's like Assassin's Creed 2. You just got to follow like where the monks are going and then you can just blend into them as you walk around the city and no one's going to be any wiser. It definitely more, it it reminded me of the, the, when you do it in Legend of Zelda, you're trying to get through the hedge maze and the guard just walks back and forth. And as long as you're never within his eyesight... You don't get caught. You can make as much noise as you want. You can roll around and what, what, what. But you know, as long as they don't see you, they they can't. Guards are kind of stupid in Hyrule. Uh, they're just like clearly there. There's no sneaking. I feel like they walked in a back door and they're now in the kitchen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're just like we're here. Hello, and no one says anything. They're just like, oh yes, these are normal people that are normally here. Awesome, great. But the guards are, they're a little distracted by their secret weapon that Arthur made because he knows a lot of magic now. I love how the whole episode is people saying to Arthur, this is dangerous magic. You don't know how to do it. And then he just does all of it. Yeah, Arthur's shooting from the hit, man. We, there's a lot of, I'm, I'm confused about Arthur's level of anything. Like, right. I would be hesitant to classify him in anything in D&D because he keeps showing every class. And I'm like, no, you got to pick one. Stop yeah. it. This isn't okay. I don't yeah. I'm not chill. Jack of all trades does not work in D&D. You can't evenly distribute your attributes or because you're not going to be good at anything. <laughs> Just shouting it like across the table. Arthur, this is not what we went over in session zero. You were going rogue, but not like in a rogue kind of way. Stop it. <laughs> I cast fireball. It's a cantrip. No, it's not a cantrip and you don't have it. (laughs) Magic missile, wild form. I go into a rage. You've done too much. You don't have any of those things. Stop it. You are a bard, sir. You, this is, we just got to the bar. Like we just got to the tavern. Nothing's happened. Why are you fighting everyone? (laughs) Leave the barkeep alone. 
Well, Arthur has made a a dead soup. It's the dangerous, deadly soup. He has made McDonald's coffee. Got him. So hot, it's going to melt everything on site except the table. Like, it melts the first thing it encounters, and then that's it. Nothing else. And apparently Arthur poured it so good, he didn't pour any on the table. No, no. holes in his beautiful table. No, Which is good. It's not. beautiful craftsmanship. We don't want to destroy this table. But that poor guard, he lost his helmet. He lost his helm. That was like I'm, the one he had. Yeah, th- he brought that from home. Like that was passed down for years and years. I don't know. I just, I love that they're making this like, the kind of stuff that, you know, like when they had the cauldrons outside your draw drawbridge and you jump it on them and everything, you're dumping the acid and stuff. Like that's, what are we, it's so dark randomly. Like I've made this acid and I'm going to pour it on everyone. What? <laughs> this isn't. No. And Arthur's plan is just just carry around this giant soup and hope you run into them. Like just like the idea of like running around with like a dut like a little dutch uh, uh, he's just got like he can't do anything. He's just holding a pot. Just uh, uh. Like, at least put it in some super soakers. Oh my just could you imagine it like a, in a little like spray bottle like uh uh banaca. Is that what it's called? Is this a little thing? I don't know. Little hand sanitizer spray of doom. It's just in one of those things you use to like spray your cats to stop climbing on stuff. So, no, bad. So, ah, ah, ah. Well, they managed to out sneak all the sneaky and they head up to find to find King Arthur, who's putting some feather. He's he's uh, he's decorating his sword to look so pretty with some feathers. He's having a uh, crafting with, with moment. Flowers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we we love we loved some DIY. He's you know he's he's taking that floral arrangement class and he's doing something with it. He's they're just desperately gluing flowers to it. Just be like, guys, I saw this on Five Minute Crafts. It's gonna go great. Where'd the glue gun go? There's some, a really big step with the glue gun. And There's it won't always work. a big step with the glue gun. We are gonna turn this into the most fierce pair of heels that is very illogical, but it's gonna be. Awesome. Where is the glue gun? Oh, love crafting moment. Well, they try to get the sword from Arthur, but they are unsuccessful because, oh no, Zelina is backstabbed everyone. We are super surprised. We are totally shocked because Arthur also managed to get the magic cuff off of her. So he's three for three with this magic stuff. I... First of all, I would like to commend Zelina for how far she went into her sobbing routine. Because, I mean, she was doing the heaves. She She was was doing the I'm so scared and in no control. She's like, oh, she's going to save my baby. (laughs) And there's never a moment that it gets recognized that the fact that, like, I I think it would have made more sense for Snow to soften to Zelina's please for she's going to steal my baby because the irony of the fact that snow doesn't like Zelina because she tried to steal her baby like it's just one of those snow just goes oh are you hurt and then gets too close and then gets kicked in the face because obviously I guess um but yeah I just love the commitment to the bit of being like if I'm gonna cry I'm gonna have a full-fledged mental breakdown let's go she's gotta sell it I mean Mary Margaret she's been pregnant Twice. Yeah. So she knows the deal. 
Yeah. She's, she's got it's got to be convincing. <laughs> Is it your hormones? No, I'm just crying for natural. Why do you have to be like this? <laughs> just I just want a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> well, they Zelina's kidnapped Mary Margaret and and throws her in a chair and is like, I've got you captured. You're all my prisoners now. Also, I now have the power to tie Merlin to the sword. How? So I think this is the spell Merlin uses to tie Nimue to the dagger. But That's, how do they know it? I don't know. That's the part I don't get. I just don't get why he has the book and they know how to use it and Zelina can read it. I was too busy reeling from her referring to Charming as daddy uh, to really process what was happening. Uh, but he was like, oh, she's like, oh, yeah, this is a really great spell. And then just sort of like twinkles her fingers. And I'm like, it's not a spell. That's just you twinkling your fingers. <laughs> what is happening? What is this? I don't like it. And then magically it happens. Yeah. She did also call, it was either Charming or I think it was actually Hook. She called him Sarcastic at one point. And I thought that was great. Yes. Yes. It, Very it only yeah. kind of made up for, for the daddy comment. <laughs> Stop it. Come on, we who who doesn't who doesn't love a daddy? He's got the ha- the half open shirt. Come on. First of all, charming is not like if we're gonna start calling people daddy, we gotta call him daddy correctly. And charming is not like he is actually one, but not like in the way that you would refer to somebody as a daddy. That's fair. Okay, that is accurate. Okay, uh, but yes, now we have tied Merlin to this half a sword. Yes, and and he and Arthur. Because su- uh, Arthur summons him with his magic sword thing. And Merlin immediately pops up and he's like, oh, no, this is bad. No, let's. Th- I don't like this. And <laughs> How'd you do this? And they just, they just Shakespeare the house down. Like, just living it up, acting facial pleading yelling and meanwhile regina's in the back threatening to kill zelina the fireball and robin hood's first thing is no the baby oh god and you can still like cinch her hair yeah hello you can hit someone with a fireball and the baby will be perfectly safe okay baby's very very resilient especially in the womb it's fine but like yeah arthur and merlin's little argument is so wonderful to me mm-hmm. and it again because there's not like a weird flower box situation happening it sells it a little bit more uh it's so dramatic it's real you can tell that both of them are like where they are emotionally because arthur is finally at the point where he wants to be and he knows that he has the upper hand but he's also severely upset and merlin is mostly confused at first he doesn't quite get what's happening but then he's like trying to like save He's trying to gain ground. It's not working, but he's mm-hmm. trying. Yeah, I, I just really, I, I thought that both of them made really good points. And that's one of the things I really liked about this scene. Arthur, obviously, Arthur is more in the wrong than, you know, in this situation. But Arthur has legitimate grievances. He, you know, he was getting these these half promises and these weird prophecies from this guy he never saw and it ruled his life and it ruined his life and he's forever had felt inadequate because he was given these delusions of grandeur that he never could follow through on of course you know 
that's also on him to, you know, not, how do I word this? He let it get to his head. He let it go to his head. Yeah, there's there's dual responsibility here. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be mad at somebody for doing something to you like that, but at the same time, you are culpable for a little bit of what you did. Like, especially at that far of a point, there has to be a point where it stopped being any part Merlin's fault. Like, you put him on the path, but you also then just kept walking the path. When many people did try to divert you, including the woman you now have in some sort of weird drug-induced haze to not mm-hmm. be upset about you continuing to walk this path, you know they tried to stop you and you kept going. You know what? That's what, that's what we'll say. When he, married, when, when he got married and decided to, like, dust everybody, that was when it started becoming solely his fault. Because um, I did, like, Merlin trying to do, like the dad who's entered your life way too late but is trying to claim responsibility you were like a son to me you were a tree you were not my father <laughs> get out i i agree with arthur on that one where it's like you don't get mm-hmm. to do that you don't get to come no. in and like drop something like that when you weren't like you could say that you wished you could have been like a father to me but you weren't i grew up i grew up and didn't have you here so how dare you emotionally try to manipulate me that way so yeah no that's 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 all 100% accurate well as that confrontation is happening well around all this time, a lot of stuff's happening we're gonna take a trip over to Emma she's fighting the dark one presence in her whole body she's dream catching making some beautiful art <sighs> She took I'm obsessed a, with her angry crafting. crafting. I'm obsessed it's, with her angry yeah. crafting. She looks like she is trying to like get thoughts out of her brain. Like she's definitely like angry crafting, which I don't know if it's something you've ever done, but it is a wild experience where at the end of it, you're like, I have a potholder. What did I do? Am I better? Am I cured? Did I just put all of my emotions into this potholder? Do I have to burn this now? <laughs> oh no. It's my evil potholder. I put all of my emotions in this potholder. Uh, we it's can't the use dark it to cook. one potholder. We can't, we can't cook with this. We can't use it for anything. It can't touch anything. Bury it. <laughs> Merlin asks uh, for her to go with him on a quest. And this is going to determine whether they are able to reforge Excalibur and get the darkness out of Emma. Emma is going to need to pass a test. And Merlin is putting a lot of faith into Emma in this situation because he... He sees the future, which, to be honest, starting to get on my nerves a little bit. I don't like omniscient characters, especially ones who are only omniscient to a certain point. Because they know they know the plot until the plot doesn't want them to know. And I don't like that. Yeah, it 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 drives me nuts. It's very like Alice Cullen in Twilight, where it's like, it's a really good plot device, but then when we need the plot device to not be there, we just fully remove Alice from the situation. It's like, she's she's gone. Why? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but we need her to not be here. <laughs> it's so funny you bring up Alice Colin because there is a full-on Twilight moment in the Merlin flashback. Oh, that, 100%. That I cannot wait to talk about. Anyway, so after Hook... <laughs> pretty much says his goodbyes because you don't give somebody a keepsake 
that's important to you that you say literally saved your life, you don't give that away because that tells the audience something bad is happening to you. No. Hug, hug no. Don't give a death speech. Hug no. Oh, but he's so sweet. It's so cute. I love this. I love, I like that, like, Emma in this episode, especially once they get through their quest, she's speaking much more like she does in Storybrooke. Mm-hmm. But it's so much more, like, un- like unnerving with her just still looking like normal Emma. So it's strange. It just seems like she's, like, she showed up to set one day and was like, I will be doing this accent. Okay. Did why is she suddenly Madonna? I don't understand what's happening. Um Emma's got a low voice. Also she has an accent and we don't know what accent it is. We can't pinpoint it. I wish I wish she would have gone for like some sort of like crazy unhinged thing. Like she suddenly has a transatlantic accent and she's just she just goes like full Grace Kelly for no reason. Um or, or one better, since she was in Boston, she goes like, her dark one is, is Bostonian. She, she turns into Boston, she turns into a Boston meatball. Oh my God, that'd be so funny. Oh no, she's just calling for Mary Margaret. Ma, ma. <laughs> oh no. Oh, and instead of going to Granny, she goes to Dunkin's. We're going to get some Dunkies. Ma. <laughs> She's just super into the socks. Uh, okay. So, well, before she can, before she can do that, before she can get in line for her 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 sweet donkeys and her and her mocha, uh, she's got to go get the spark, the ember of Pro- the fire of Prometheus. And I love how in one moment in the flashback we get a sense of like being in ancient Greece or something, and then. Through magic, he's all of a sudden in the Enchanted Forest, and that's our set for everything. So now all the Greek mythology stuff is likewise in the Enchanted Forest. Yeah, they're just like, oh, also this part has some pillars. Like, yeah, like we sure like it's such a like a weird. They've stumbled so far. Like, and we'll talk about this before. It's like, where are they stumbling from? Ancient Greece. <laughs> okay, what's going on? Merlin tells the story of how, you know, they kind of reiterate the story of how Merlin lost his love Nimue to the Dark One and how she's going to have to face the first Dark One, the one that killed his beloved in order to uh, in order to get the, the spark, in order to defeat the darkness once and for all. And he sees two paths for her. She could do that. It'll be everything is awesome. Everything's cool when we're part of a team. And the other one is... Chris Pratt is Mario. Bad, the bad place. I was going to make the same joke. This is like, it's ah. a me. It's a me, Mario. <laughs> yeah, let's go. What are you talking about, Toad? Um, Sorry. I'm so mad about it. Uh, and, and Emma's having some dilemmas because she she's like, I just worked so hard to get rid of Rumpel's voice in my head, and now you want me to call him back. And... Merlin clarifies, no, no, no. You're going to be talking to the first dark one. It's going to mess you up. But I have faith you can do it. I, one of my favorite things that Merlin does do is that he does, he does have an air of, I've been alive for a while. And your social (coughs) cues and the graces in which I will communicate with you. (coughs) 
I don't recognize them. So it's a, hey, we're going on a quest. Listen, it's going to go either really great or you're going to royally screw up and everything's going to be terrible. Um, I trust you, but I also know that you are very capable of absolutely ruining all of this. Um, so just don't do whatever you feel like you're supposed to be doing and fight all of those bad feelings inside of you. He's just like, and he never changes tone. Like there's never like an urgency to him. The only time his tone starts to change is when he's faced with Nimue, which I think is great. But it, the whole time he's just like, I'm Merlin. It's probably going to be fine. I'll die if you don't, if you mess up. So let's go. <laughs> yeah, Whatever. it kind of. So I don't know if you read the book Altered Carbon or you watched any of the Netflix show. I have a lot of issues with Altered Carbon. I'm not going to get into right now. But the one thing I felt like the book did really well and the show was how well it represented how immortal how much immortality would mess you up. Like well, how it impacts you. How humans need a time limit. Yeah. We need that lifespan. That's why we've evolved to have this lifespan. The longer we live, the the less everything makes sense. Like the less connected we are to ourselves and to the world around us because our temporary form is what helps us feel the passion for the world that we do. And so like Merlin just like living for so long and then just both giving too much of a shit and not giving a shit at all just really tracks with somebody who's lived for a long ass time and should not have. It's again, I'm going to just continue referencing vampires, but just given a very Anne Rice vampire situation, just the ennui of being alive still just, uh, except he just, he's not as French. It's like, uh, I guess it's <laughs> whatever. I love vampires so much. They're so, st- I, I feel like the 2000s vampire craze did irreparable damage to my psyche. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emma calls forth the first dark one and comes face to face with the creature behind the mask. Abby, who is it? I wonder. It's Lestat. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Uh, and Rice's, they will they will sue you for this. Uh, so yes, it is. First of all, I feel like I tracked this the first time I watched it. I obviously knew it going into the second one, but it does have the we've listened to Henry enough. The moment he said the original Dark One killed my first love, I was like, mm, mm-mm, Darth Vader talk. We're talking about this Anakin Skywalker Darth Vader situation. Mm-mm-mm. Oh yeah. And it's just, I, I just, the absolute melodrama of all of this is what makes it. Because you're like, it's intercut in the episode of like what's happening in the past, which we'll go over here in a second, with this. And they build it in such a great way that yeah. even though I knew it was coming, it was still, it's still paced out right. And so, yeah. like, you know, we get that moment where she pulls up the dagger and it starts cycling through the names at a very alarming clip and it lands. Bam. Nim away. <gasps> and she's just like dun. so carefully just takes off the mask. And what's so funny is that we haven't seen her in this form for. Wait, no. Do you, when she takes off the mask, is she in that form for the first time? Yes. Is that what we see first? Okay. Yes. I forget which, in which one we saw it first, because 
Yeah, she because takes when she takes there. when she takes the mask off, the last we had seen of her in the past was. Eh, eh, don't yeah. forget! Don't forget me! I'm definitely gone. Yeah, I'm so definitely dying from these wounds. But yeah, she takes off the mask. It's Nim away, and just, Emma's just standing there like, "What? What's going on? I don't understand." Oh my god! So let why don't we uh, backtrack to the story of of Merlin? Way a, back, a, we have to go way escaped, back in the way back machine. An escaped prisoner, maybe a slave. It's very unclear. It's him and and I guess his friend was named Ada or Ada or something. It didn't matter. He felt like a he felt like a he felt like kind of like a fat joke. It felt like a pair like a stereotype thing where it's like the fat guy is really tired and then the fat guy is like impetuous and then dies. Listen, if he was like that the entire time, he would have not made it as far as Merlin did. Like, that's that's where I'll go with that. Like, I'm like, there's no way he'd be like that and then, like, not, like, absolutely lose his mind when it was like, hey, there's a thing over there. So they're, they, they come over a, a mountain. They're running. They both kind of collapse because they're clearly in the middle of the desert and they're hot and they're sweaty and they're trying to outrace whoever. And Merlin sees a glint. And he's like, I must get to this. And he kind of drags his buddy with him. Um, I do like that his buddy then does that thing that the one night of Mer- of uh, Arthur's did. Where it's like, I will grab it first. And it's just, they find the Holy Grail. Ah, it is just sitting mm. on a rock. Nicely. Uh, and they just sit there and stare at it for a while. And they're like, what do we do? What do we do? We should drink it. Okay. And the buddy was just like, I will drink it. And he puts his hands on it and then immediately turns to dust. And Merlin just goes, that sucks. My turn. Uh, And just drinks the friend's ashes, I guess. I get, he's just like, yeah, there's probably like floating in there. Like what's happening. Um, Yeah. He at least like takes a minute and he kind of like, Merlin at least gets on his knees to like pray and be like, please just let me drink whatever's in this cup. Please, I'm just, I'm so thirsty. Please don't kill me. That other guy sucked. I just left with him because we were like together and it was a convenience thing. I don't know him. I'm yeah, we're sorry. Toge- we were together, but not like together, together. Not together, together. Just, just understand. I barely know him. Uh, he didn't talk a lot. He was like super weird. And so he was able to drink from the chalice and in doing so, A, it was very, it was nice. It was very quenching and wonderful. But then it also turns everything around him into green, green grass and beautiful. Well, is it the cup or is it Merlin? I, you know what? Is it the, is it the cup? Is it Merlin or is it New York City? Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> No, but I I love this because, like, what did it just do to the ecosystem? Like, hello, you can't just do this. You want to talk about dark magic. You are ruining an ecosystem. How dare you? This reminded me of The Mummy Returns when they're trying to find the the lair of the Scorpion King and the the oasis just pops up out of the middle of nowhere and it's so fake. It's so fake. It's so fake. So fake. Uh. And so, yeah, we it's just like, he's like, oh, cool. And then we just like smash cut to like, I think this is when it was like the 500 years before Arthur situation. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because where we're going, and this is like our first introduction to Nimue, I have so many questions about how long Dark Ones live. Because it seems like there's a bunch of them 
for 500, for 500, 600, 700 years? Like how far, 500 years before Arthur is how many years before the Enchanted Forest timeline? Well, Arthur is concurrent with the Enchanted Forest. Okay, they're all so, they're all part of the same mythos. Okay, so in five hundred years, uh, arguably, there's like fifty dark ones, and one of them has been the dark one for as long as anyone can remember. So, like, <laughs> these guys were bad at it, so bad, worse than the boar, probably. Just oh, died yeah. immediately. Their bodies were frail. Yeah, there were that. There were so many. Her dark one dagger turned into a slot machine. Yeah. Like, I, I'm so curious as to, like, how they would fit those in. Because 500 years, even if you live a normal human lifespan, which they're supposed to be immortal, so you'd think that they live for a while. Yeah. So there should only be, arguably, two or three of them. Maybe. And one of them yeah. is definitely a boar. Anyway. So we get to 500 years before Arthonian time and Merlin's like, just like helping some people. He's doing, he's doing good stuff. He's got himself a, a, a lad who is helping him, who is his little apprentice. Who is the slowest ager in the history of the world because 500 years later, he's just an old man. So did he let to like drink from like half the cup? Yeah, he, got the- little, he got a little sippy cup of Holy Grail, a little Holy Grail sippy cup. Merlin's giving him that stuff the rock uses to reduce wrinkles like it's like it's yeah. like for per ounce it's a thousand dollars and it's made out of things that we can't talk about uh and so he's doing that and everything's fine he's like okay it's probably time for me to pack up and leave and the most beautiful woman in the entire universe appears and the, the boy is just like I think I know her I don't know how I'm gonna go see what the deal is Merlin ends up talking to her and they have, I don't know. I like their whole thing. I'm confused by how they like interact in the beginning. Like I like what happens later, but she's just like, yeah, it's fine. I have these flowers. My whole village was basically raised uh, by Voldemort and I'm really kind of pissed about it, but I do have these flowers. Merlin's like, oh, okay. Put them in this, put these seeds in a bucket. And he puts the seeds in the bucket, and then they grow the most fake-ass-looking flowers I've <laughs> ever seen in my life. She's like, they're beautiful! And I'm like, what, what's happening? And they have this nice conversation, and they're they're so cute together. I love them. They are cute. Um, this is where we get that Twilight moment, because Merlin can see the future of everybody, except her. She's special. He can't see her future. He can't read her mind. I love But she does you- smell horrible in the best way. You smell like, you know, I forget what the line is in Twilight. But yeah, I do love the whole like, you're so special because I can't read you. Where it's like, is that a, is that a good trait in a person? Like they're, <laughs> just, I, wouldn't that like confuse and alarm you? Like, I feel like if I could read everybody's mind, but I couldn't read a person's mind, I would think that there was something fundamentally wrong with them. <laughs> you're like, uh, you're sus. You're a pod person. You're like a robot. I don't know what's happening here. Um, but just a, the the persistent thought in my brain right now, because I've invoked Alice and we're talking about the Edward thing. Uh, do you remember like in the, I don't know if it's in the books or if this is just like a random fact from something, but like Alice and Edward playing chess, they never actually do anything because Alice can see the future and Edward reads her mind. So they play chess in like 30 second increments 
because they're pretentious <laughs> pieces of shit. <laughs> I love it. Uh anyway, so they they meet. It's great. She comes back. The flowers are in a trough now. Um they make these cute comments and everything and he's like, "Yeah, anyway, like I'm 500 years old. <laughs> I'm really old. I have magic." And she's like, "Oh, cool." And you texted me this, and it's correct. It's the whole time. The moment she finds out what Merlin is, you can see the hamster on the wheel working overtime. She's just like, something's back there processing. And she's like, okay. Okay. I mean, I would argue it was a li- there just a little bit in their first encounter. I don't think she knew what what he could do, who he was. I mean, she knew he was healing people and was answering like prayers of the village and whatever. But like, you know, her first thing is she says, I want revenge. I think if he had been like, who do you want me to kill? She would have been like all over that. But the fact that he had responded the way he did, she not like, not in like a sociopathic way or anything, but like she was like, okay, I'm not going to get that. So let me, let me, Best revenge is a life well lived kind of situation. I think I think there was some notes there that there's she wants control. She wants to feel in control of like of something, whether it's the yeah. flowers or her own life. And that's kind of her goal in the end is really survival and control over her destiny. Yeah, and which, you know, respect. I yeah. do think she does have that like she is the the beginning type of she is the patient zero of dark ones. So I do think she has that kind of rumple factor of being like having like some sort of homing beacon towards people that are easily easy to manipulate, even if you're not trying. Mm-hmm. Like you just existing near them, they will start the river forms with you. Like they will be malleable to you. And I think someone with not as good intentions and more probably the ability to go dark, if we're going to use. Once upon a time, vernacular uh, would ve- very be drawn to somebody who was had light magic and probably easy to like corrupt because you can't corrupt somebody into the light. That's my favorite thing. Where it's like you can like someone can fall into darkness, but no one accidentally jumps up into light magic. Like no one's accidentally like I will kill no more. Let's go. It's like a struggle bus to get to the light, but you can just immediately accidentally end up the darkest villain in the universe. Because it's a parable for addiction. <sighs> easy, easy to easy to fall in. Hard to climb out. What are you talking about? Isn't going cold turkey the best, safest right? It is not. I'm joking. Nope. I said it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't ever go cold turkey from things. It's bad. Um. <laughs> so they have a nice little moment. And sh- they basically, he reveals that he's immortal. And he reveals the Holy Grail. He reveals the Grail. And it's hiding in her hometown. <laughs> no, it's hiding in his tower. And yeah. then they go to her hometown for reasons. But basically, he's like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go take a, a really upsetting field trip for you. Um, I could have just left you here and done, come back. I, I don't know why we're doing this. Uh, and like they're just talking and stuff. And she's he's like, I, I know what we're going to do. I'm going to do this to cut away my immortality. And my magic so that we can be together forever <laughs> because he well, not forever. Has, he wants well, to get old. He wants, well, he, he wants, wants to but grow not forever, old but like you. forever, like as 
you know, as forever with you as like a as human being. You will eventually grow old and hold hands like in the end of Notebook. And now all I can hear is that damn Twilight song. One more day. I don't remember the lyrics. Um, but she wants forever, forever. She's and like, she, what if she's we go like, the yeah. other way? What if instead of you being mortal, I become immortal? What if we just killed a bunch of people? Like, it's just like she starts, like, slowly staying. Slowly. Like, I I jumped too fast. She was just slowly peppering in questions like, well, what if instead of the thing that you want to do, we maybe shoplifted a little? Like, it's just like little something. He's like, what? No. And he at no point, no point does that ever trip him up. He's just like, no, that's that's a bad idea. Anyway, we'll go back to doing the thing that I'm doing. He is he will not get off his focus. He never notices how many weird red flag things she says, and he just keeps charging forward, doing blazing magic in front of her, and n- at no point checks her. Man is absolutely head over heels, and he's wearing rose-colored glasses. The red flags just seem like regular flags to him. Gross. But he he does that with Arthur too. I think it's a pattern. I think he has a habit of if 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 he's picked somebody and that person has passed his whatever test he has, he can implicitly trust them and they're going to automatically do the right thing that he wants them to do because he knows it's the right thing because he can see the future. And I'd say with the apprentice it works out. Nimue and Arthur, not so much. I do think that there's something nice in like the idea of an immortal, immortal character that isn't uh, a pessimist. Yeah. Because I feel like, I mean, I'm already like, I'm pushing 40 and I'm already like, everyone's terrible. (laughs) Everyone's out to get you. Like I couldn't imagine being 500 and being like still having the snow white bird on my finger conversations. Be like, everyone is so good. I believe in everyone. We must believe in the goodness of our hearts. Like, I feel like if I lived as long as Merlin did, I would have been just be like, no, everyone sucks. You're all on your own. (laughs) Just going to be back here making tea by myself. So they, they, they get the, they get the goblet. We turn it into, the sword is so long. I cannot get over how long the fully constructed sword is. It It, boggles the mind every single time I see it. It does not get better. And how much it looks like a T-1000. Yeah. Yeah. This this goop, goop, it was just like. Just goblet goop flying in the air, and uh-huh. then and then Merlin goes whoosh with his arms, and then longsword. Listen, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get heated when we start talking about how Emma put it back together. <laughs> so he puts it. He's like, "Yes, I have the sword. I no one can hold it and make it not look like it's completely unbalanced." And what's the guy's name? I keep saying Voldemort. It's not Voldemort. Vortigan. Uh, what's that? Sorry. Vortigan. Vortigan. Vortigan shows up and we're just like, I, I am here and basically attacks Nimue because he wants the sword. Attacks Nimue and she's like, no, I got this. Don't worry. Does not in fact have it. Gets stabbed immediately. Um, and Merlin is like, no, what have you done? And Nimue is dying. Just remember me how I was and not how you see me. I'm definitely dead now. Like, 
I am going to traumatize you. But don't worry, in about 30 seconds, you will be even more traumatized. So just let me lay here dead while you start battling with your own inner demons as you fight the urge to kill the man that killed the woman you love. Um, and uh, he's standing there and he's arguing with Vortigan. And all of a sudden, Vortigan just goes, what? Because Nimue has risen from the dead and ripped Vortigan's heart out from his back. Which couldn't have been, couldn't have been easy. I'm kind of amazed and slightly baffled that this is the first magic thing she did. Listen, like if that's the first magic thing that she did, girl was holding back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if your first instinct is to, I have magic... And I've risen, like, my, the first magical thing she did was healed her from her immortality and stuff. But her first actual thought act, right, is the, it's the hard thing. So she had to have been just absolutely tamping down her natural instincts while she was asking Arthur things. Just being like, I'm, or not Arthur, but Merlin things. Just being like, I'm going to ask him, I'm going to ask him if we should just kill everyone. No, 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 no. I'm just going to ask him about a little light revenge. Okay. She's about, got yeah. so many angry pot potholders. So in her, many angry in her burned up house, and they are not helping. Like she nope. has done them so many times. She's got a simmer pot going. It's not working. Nothing's happening. And so she, yeah, she pull reaches out the heart, and like Merlin is trying to plead with her because she has secretly taken a drink from the cup. So here's my question: Is there always just liquid in the cup, or did she like pour her own thing in? Like just, I mean, I think that there's there that there's liquid in it when the gods or because because Merlin thanks the gods for for the drink, but we don't right now we don't know who put the cup there. We don't know for what purpose. I think we find out more about that in the second half of the season. So I'm guessing that the powers that be filled it up for her. Okay, fill up my cup. Oh, those Mazel oh, tov. Those. Oh, those gods. They always they always doing something weird. Uh, so she drinks from it. Now she's immortal and Merlin is pleading with her not to do not to crush the heart or to dr- ruin the heart. I don't think I don't think at that point even she knew what she was going to do with it. She was just like, I have it like, whoa, like a dog that caught a car. Like, oh, shit. What do I do with it? And she's like, I know it's real squishy. I'm going to squish it. Squish. And she squishes it. And it turns into dust. Is this the first, um, is she the first person to have done this, you think? Like, ever in the world of Once Upon a Time? I, I would say yes, because this happens a very long time ago. Uh, maybe, like, some sort of, like, I don't know, maybe that's how she got it in her brain. She seems like a reader. Maybe she read some ancient text about heart ripping, but maybe she's just the OG, I think she's the OG heart ripper. Everyone, Nimue is a boss babe. She yeah. is, she is leaning, she's leaning in, ripping hearts and setting, lighting the way for the next generation of women who rip hearts out of people's chests and keep them in boxes or just destroy them. Or just destroy them, yes. Or simply just forget they exist, bury them in the dirt, do all kinds of fun stuff. She's she the Susan that. B. Anthony of evil magic. 
when we salute her uh she so she crushes the heart and the moment she crushes the heart she turns into an avatar character of glitteriness um and similar to the way emma's thing was i think it looks great until you look at the hairline like they had it right with rumple because rumple's hair hangs down Mm-hmm. So you don't get to see where the paint clearly stops because the glue starts. Yep. But, and admittedly, it doesn't look like she's wearing, to me at least, it didn't look like she was wearing a wig. It just looked like they braided her hair up. Maybe. But it also yeah. looked a lot more red than normal. Like, I feel like it wasn't red before, but she was also never in a lot of direct lighting. So I can't tell. It, it was definitely, it was definitely had a different tone to it yeah. for sure. So she's like, she's got blue Oh, poor girl. She had blue with some green and then just bright orange hair. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a strong color choice. Mm-hmm. And she is now Nimue, the first dark one. The first dark one with a stupid mask because they needed a reason. They needed to explain the mask. So they're like, she wears the mask of the guy she murdered. I'm like, that's got to smell. So- Else it wouldn't fit. So to be fair, I do like how he explained it to Emma. Like that was the way he said it, I think was just poetic enough for me to not roll my eyes at it. Okay. Because he, he, when she puts it on, he's like, she's like, like, why does she do that? Because it's easier to dress up your darkness as vengeance than face on that. You're just a shit person. Like is basic. He said it much more poetically and elegantly with $10 words. And it's just like, yeah, she's pretending she's Batman. She's just a lunatic. So (laughs) (laughs) she, she thinks she's doing good. Mm. Mm. Well, we return back to Emma and Merlin and this reveal of Nimue, who is the first dark one. And Nimue starts talking to Emma and trying to get her to embrace the darkness inside of her and to kill Merlin, which I'm like, dude, that's your ex. Like, be cool. Like, he gave you, you know. The first dark one, shockingly, pretty toxic. (laughs) Oh, poor Merlin. He's like, now you're just somebody that I used to know somebody. We've got the worst songs in our head because now I'm just like fighting the urge to sing the what's the song the song the Jar of Hearts song. I'm obsessed with it. Jar of Hearts. I don't know any of the words to any of these songs. I annoy I annoy my husband with it so much. I'm just like in the kitchen like singing off key and making up words because I'm like I don't know what they actually are. This is just. Uh, yeah. She's just like, do it, do it, do it. She's talking about Palpatine stuff here. Do it, do it. Oh, yes. And and Emma is doing it. Like, she is, she isn't even realizing she is using her, her Dark One magic to attack Merlin. And she goes up to him, like, super speed and, like, is choking him out. And he's trying to tell her, no, you can fight this. Let the light win. And Nimue is saying, her, her, Nimue's big mistake is being like, you are nothing without this magic. You yeah. are nothing. And then Emma's like, I am not nothing. And like, it was a lot, but Jennifer Morrison had such conviction. She was, oh, I'm going to knock my mic over because this was. She's, Beth lost her mind. She's like yes. throwing her hands everywhere. Like, Jennifer Morrison has been waiting for, to do a scene like this. Like she was ready and we were too. And I like. It's corny, but it worked. Oh, listen, at this point, and I thought about this about two or three episodes ago, 
And I know that I keep making jokes about the physics of things and everything, but we've just fully turned into, we're, we're talking about leaning in. We're leaning into the corniness mm-hmm. and the campiness and we've decided to just make it part of it. And so like it was, it was so much, it was just a, I, this is the big moment. This was just her hitting an absolute 10 on a scale of one to 10. And she's yelling to no one. Well, I guess that's not true. She's yelling to her inside of her own head because that's where Nimue exists. Yeah. But Merlin and, can see her too because he's special and has to be able to see her too. Well, yeah, we have to plot. see it for stage direction purposes. So yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Uh, Merlin's just like, I can see the future for everybody, including the imaginary person you're thinking about over there. And she fights it and it was like, don't worry. I'll be back because you'll never get rid of me because I live in your head. Boop. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, one step away from bopping her on the nose. Boop. See you late. See you in your dreams, sister. <gasps> Scary. And that's really kind of where we end all that off. Like, Emma has, has won the day. She's fought off the darkness, but the darkness is like, I'll be back because it's Terminator. <laughs> I fought the dark and the dark one. Oh. Because, yes, because we return. I fought the dark and the dark one. The dark oh, one. oh, that's good. Big brain. Oh, I love that. That's an episode title right there. I gotta <laughs> write that down. I don't care if it's too long. It's going to make it happen. Or we're back in the present, and there's a framing device of Emma starting to work to put the the sword back together. She's got both pieces. Finally, they're going to be reunited. It's going to feel so good. Uh, first, Rumple's talking to her, and then Nimue shows up in addition. It's like, yes, I had to see this in person. I had to make my grand reveal right now. Also, here's a bunch of faceless people with, like, Fremen eyes from Dune. <laughs> <laughs> just like why are their eyes all glowing and so we don't see their faces and where is the damn boar yeah they're jawas from star wars they're here to loot all of your mechanical goods and to teach you the proper way to forge a sword and a dagger together that is not pointing them at each other she j- i get it, it's a magic sword but it just drove me nuts Yes, and, and it, it, there's a lot of hand whooshing, a lot of uh, a lot of Jennifer Morrison like shaking her arms, like kind of like jittering a bit, like she's holding something invisible in her hands that is almost out of control, but just at the right moment. Oh, sword! We do it, but then she remembers Merlin's message: "Don't touch the sword, Emma." Don't do it. She remembers it just in time to be like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, because then she really grabs the sword. And then she's just holding it and kind of swinging it around and playing with it a little bit as as the Dark Ones look on lovingly, whispering sweet nothings in her ear and fade to credits. That was a good ending. It got. I was like, I wanted to put on the next one like right then and there. Same, same. This had a very good ending. Uh, I, I do... It's such a big sword. Uh, I'm so mad about it. <laughs> it's just such a big sword. It's so but, long. It's like, but, like it's like a Game of Thrones esque sword. It, it does like yeah. It's just like it has that like Ned Stark ice situation where it's like this is the biggest, most unwieldy sword. Do you want to make it smaller? Absolutely not. I've committed to this in a way that no one understands. Um, but yeah, I as silly as it is, like it's cool the way that they frame this of her being like, wait, 
Merlin told me to definitely not do this. And then she does it. That, it's such a good story moment because even like as we're watching and we're just like, oh, maybe Emma can't be saved. Oh, no. It's such a, it's a good moment. I like this it's, moment. It's a good moment. It's a good cliffhanger. It makes us ready and eager for the next episode, which is going to be birth. It's like, if, if Zelina's having her baby right now, that's a surprise because she's barely showing. <laughs> she's doing great. She's She's got one of those magical pregnancies where it's just like really small. It's going to be like no trouble whatsoever. And she's going to be just like the most insufferable woman at the mom group. I don't know why you guys are all complaining. Pregnancy is so easy. <laughs> it's not easy, is it? Well, everybody, that was season five, episode seven, Nimue. And like I said at the beginning, it has its flaws and it has its moments that don't quite connect. And I feel like in the end, there's parts of the the backstory that don't quite come together super well because it needed more time to develop, which is pretty much a, a mode du jour for once upon a time. But I... I distinctly remember kind of having a similar feeling last time. Like we were kind of let down by the story itself, but we were so in love with the performances and the character dynamics that it made up for it. And I feel the same way now. So I was thinking about this after I finished the episode and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I genuinely can't remember if what is in my head was the way the story goes or something that you and I had speculated about when we first started watching it about Nimue being the lady of the, the lady in the lake. Was that, Mm. I don't remember if it's actually in the story or something we were speculating on in fan fiction cornering because we were like, well, why else would she be blue? And that's how she would tell Arthur that he needs to grab the sword. So like, I just genuinely can't remember. I started Abby spackling too much and now my brain doesn't know what's real and fake. if it's real, I don't remember any of it. And if it's not real, it should be. And we should go back in time to fix it. Just going to just put it in. Just be like, after this, if that's not what happened, we'll just pretend that that's what happened. And we will speak mm-hmm. of it as it did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I also like was thinking about it. I'm pretty sure you and I have referenced this character a couple of times when we first started podcasting. And I'm pretty sure we both called her Nimue. <laughs> Nimu or N- I think we were both pronouncing it wrong earlier and then they said it and I went oh we were wrong again Nibu. <laughs> all right well everybody thank you so much for joining us for this latest episode of once upon a timing Nimue, or as we're also gonna call it Nimue's love in the times of darkness with the freckles of doom I added that last part of my Merlin standing like shirtless with his back to the cover of the book. Like, <gasps> like looking over. Yeah. Oh, that's, yes. At the, the romance title, like revenge With the waterfall. Story. With the waterfall. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. All right. We want to thank everybody for supporting us. Our patrons, especially our Swan Queen patrons. This week's Patreon shout out goes to Zach Chobanov. Zach, thank you so much for supporting us on Once Upon a Timing. If you're interested in joining our little Patreon community, you can head to patreon.com slash OUA timing. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, wherever you get those yummy, nummy podcasts. Uh, you can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash OUA timing. For the time being, you can find us on Twitter. <laughs> TBD, if that's still the case later, I am, for the time being, at Beth Elderkin. I am at just underscore Abby. 
asterisk. <laughs> we we literally don't know if the, Twitter will exist when we hang up this call. Like yeah. this that's how wild this is. So good luck everybody. We're all fighting the good fight apparently. Yes, but no matter what, Abby, we will see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>